Welcome everybody to Learning with Bell Vista Studios. This is a place where our team get to be curious and talk to people that we are inspired by in the industry. And today we've got Brandy. And Brandy, I want to recognize you first of all before I get in because I love that you're a learner and I can see that. You are curious all the time. And when you post things, it's something that's resonated with you that you think will have value to others and you share that. And you're really good at reflecting and synthesizing and then thinking about how that applies. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to recognize you for investing in yourself and learning so that you can be a better practitioner so that your learners are in a better position. I really think that is true. The better we can become and the more self-aware, whether that's on a professional or personal side, it really reflects in the solutions that we create. And I definitely recognize that in the interactions that we've had. So good on you. Please continue Thank you to do so that. Thank you so much. It's so nice. Um, so, right. Brandy is a quick story, basically. Started out as a nurse, went to a nurse practitioner, wanted to, you like the people side. And I can see that in like things where you talk about systems thinking and like trust and culture. So you like the people side, you got the opportunity then to go into simulations and now you help nurses and that do their job. I guess like, I'm gonna say the medical profession do their job better, okay? That's, is that an okay description of what you do now? Depends on who you ask, they may, they may say, we got this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, well, that's yeah. where I want to go with this. That's yes. good. Because what I would really like to know, from my understanding of the medical profession, is that they're very busy, they're very educated, they've gone through bloody years, like nearly like our whole lifetime of study <laughs> to get their career job. Um, yes. And they're very time poor. And they also have bigger motivators than just training. Like they're literally dealing with life or death situations. Uh -huh. So I think we can learn a lot from people like this in terms of, I'd like to empathize with their world to help serve learners in general better. So talk uh -huh. to me about their world and what it looks like. And then there's people like us trying to cram training in and how does that work? <laughs> So what their world looks like as far as like in an actual clinical setting, is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like day to day, what are they doing? And in terms of like time pressures and priorities, what they care about. Well, um, I will speak mostly to what I know, which is what I try to do, but that way I don't, you know, talk about something that I'm not sure about, but the most of my medical background, my healthcare work has been in the emergency room. And so it's very busy, a lot of different things happening. So you definitely get um, a lot of real world <laughs> circumstances that you deal with. And it's one of those things where now that going back into like the education part of it, it can be sometimes a little bit challenging to kind of go back to trying to teach things kind of in a book format and like a standardized way of doing things, but also knowing that there's a lot of times that there's just no substitute for the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so what you hope to do is like you hope, and it depends on what level they're at. So whenever you're, you're teaching people, we start out with a lot of just fundamental stuff, anatomy, physiology, how drugs work, you know, how to do dosages. Like you do a lot of those really, you know, kind of things. And then they slowly start to work into like, 
how does this look in a scenario? So not just knowing like, here's a blood pressure medicine, here's this, like, okay, so what happens if this doesn't work? And they kind of make it a little more complex up to that. Mm. But then, you know, and we try really hard to simulate things the best you can, you know, as, as much as you can in like a yeah. controlled environment. But there just are a lot of other things that happen, interactions when you come in with real people. It's mm -hmm. a lot more complicated. You've got personalities, you've got different income levels, you've got different education levels, you've got um, different expertise, you've got a lot of different people that know a lot of different things, you know, as far as working with different staff. Um, you got things that come up with people, you know, like it's not always just like, here's this, this is the diagnosis they have, this is how you treat that. Yeah. It's, it just becomes a lot more um, complicated. So I think. Um, like when I see the, the nurses that are coming back for advanced training, sometimes it's a little hard for them to let go of that. Like, I kind of know what it looks like in the real world <laughs> to go back and say, well, but this is how you should do it. You know, yeah. we know we don't always do it exactly that way because real life is a little bit different. So, so yeah. So I think sometimes it's a little challenging to, to, to do that. Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. I feel like it kind of, or you've opened up like 50 billion questions for okay now, good, so. <laughs> Great. Great. good. <laughs> um i guess on that one just with the nurses who are coming back for the advanced training why would be some of the reasons that they'd be coming back for training um in the first place just to give me some context so the people that we specifically take care of um, in simulation are people who are registered nurses yeah who are coming back to become nurse practitioners Okay. okay. And so those people, nurse practitioners are actually allowed to go in, diagnose and treat like almost like what most people think that physicians are the only ones that can do, but they actually are allowed to do their, their scope of practice is expanding when they're becoming nurse practitioners. And yeah. so you have different nurse practitioners in different roles. So like me, I'm a family nurse practitioner, which means I can treat kids all the way up to, you know, the elderly with any range of conditions where you'd go see like your family doctor. Right. And so yeah. those, and we have people who are specifically women's health nurse practitioners. You have people who are for acute care, which typically means your intensive care people or your emergency room people, more yeah. of your like sicker patients. You have psychiatric nurse practitioners for, you know, so those people are actually coming back for training to, to go a little bit step up in their scope, what they're allowed to do. Yeah. And during the day. And then okay. it, there's also a lot of things they get paid more money. Um, when you're a nurse, you can't specifically bill for what you do. So you get paid kind of a flat rate. Mm -hmm. Whereas nurse practitioners get their own like numbers that they can bill like health insurance companies. Oh yeah. So yeah. So you start to be able to bill for your services. So it gets a little more complicated into that, but so it's more money, it's more autonomy, it's more, you know, expanded scope of practice, what they're able to do. Cool. That's why so, most of them come back. They want most of them have been nurses for a little while and they're ready to kind of be able to do something a little bit more. Yeah. And they're self-motivated to do this further development because it's going to help their career. So it's not like mm -hmm. it's a mandatory, like you have to do this kind of training. Mm -mm. No. Um, so what kind of things I that the stuff that you're talking about in terms of like well, in the real world we know better and this is what it's like so how mm -hmm. what specific things would you say or activities would you simulate to help overcome that because that is a barrier that's quite common across industries um where people are like 
and it's an adult learning principle like respect mm -hmm. what people already know relate it to their mm -hmm. world um, so what kind of specific things do you do or say to overcome so that there's no resistance between the learner and what they're learning yes so what we usually try to do is we all are very honest about it we're just like you know you can't you know if you if you lined up five or ten different providers doctors nurses whatever everybody's mm -hmm. going to have a little bit different way of doing things and we understand that so what we try to do is teach them kind of a standardized way to do things but we're usually very honest with people and so for example i i teach a lot of um sessions where we teach nurse practitioners how to take a history on a patient from the stance of like a provider instead of a nurse because you need to get different information because now you're the one responsible for getting the diagnosis and so when we're doing that session it's like okay so i want you to start with this question you know what brought you in today you know tell me about your symptoms are you having any other symptoms um and, the, and so what that helps them do is start gener generating a list of like potential diagnosis they could have and that helps them come up with the next questions right and so when we're doing that and then we get to the parts about treatments you know we always tell them you know we understand that there may be five different ways to treat this you know but maybe today we're just going to talk about this is the way this could be done we want you to stick to this way while you're here we want to standardize this training and then when they actually get into the real world environment they will start to see those variations of how different people approach it because sometimes it depends on what hospital you work at they have particular um, ways that they will treat some illnesses you know for example like working in the emergency room certain things have to be treated a certain way chest pains are treated a certain ways if you think people have pneumonia you have to do certain things in certain periods of time um, the way that you dress just an IV in somebody's arm is different but depending on the institution so if I'm teaching somebody that I'm like this is a way to do this it's not the only way we understand that so we try to have a very real conversation and most of the time if you're getting people who've been nurses for years they have plenty of stories they have plenty of context for being in that environment and they understand that what we're telling you is not not 100 the only way to do things kind of like life <laughs> you know it, it is a way to do it this is kind of a system to do it so when i teach that i say there's more than one way to take a history there's more than one way to diagnose. This is the way I'm going to tell you just so I can help you understand the process for doing it. Right. Yeah. And usually, even if they don't prescriptively take what I show them into their real world where they're going to do that on real patients, at least they will understand the process of how you start with what is it that this person has a complaint? How do you systematically work through going through all the different diagnoses they could have? How do you strategically start to check those off and figure out which one they have? So we're just teaching them basically processes to do that. Yeah. So we're, giving, we're giving them a tool, a process, a technique. A lot of times we're sharing maybe some resources for them to use. Yeah. How do you um, find the balance between what they would already know from their studies and their experience in the workforce and then where they should be starting with what you're teaching how do you find that balance that is a little bit tricky that is a subject that i think about a lot <laughs> because um in my mind i think a lot of times especially when you when you deal with the nurses that are coming back there's a basic assumption in my opinion that we assume that people since they're adult learners graduate level they have experience in nursing that 
they have they already know all of the things that they should know in order for you to jump in there and teach this advanced procedure mm -hmm. but because it varies depending on what area of nursing they work in what their background is and so what i usually do depending on what i'm teaching so sometimes i'll teach things about eyes like where we do like a teach them how to actually look through the pupil in the back of the eye you know retinal exams things like that we do a little dissection of a cow eye but I will usually always start with like a review of like basic anatomy. That's what I'll do because what I like to do is just instead of being like, who doesn't know this? You know what I mean? And making somebody feel uncomfortable. So if I have an hour to hour and a half with somebody, I'll always kind of start out with that little review. Like, you know, you may already know this, but I just want to refresh everybody. And it kind of opens everybody up. And that way, like, so I'll say like, this is the cornea this is where the retina is this is the parts of the eye and so that way as i go through and start adding on like diagnoses of the eye mm -hmm. i can continue to go back and say you know when we talked about the cornea do you know when we talked about this you know so that way i feel like everybody has like a good starting point but because i know like when i do instructional design projects yeah you know when i've done those which the ones that i've done full scale have not even been in medical they've been in like education and other departments you're supposed to go down and make that whole list of tasks all the way down to where you think that the learner has entry skills, right? And that's where you're kind of supposed to start it. But sometimes I think that can be a little bit misleading because I do think that we assume since people are adults that they know and a lot of adults aren't going to raise their hand and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't want to be the only one that looks mm. all of those. It's my personal experience with that. Yeah. And I guess that's, if I think about solutions in the past that we've designed, it's almost like that core stuff is there if they need it, but it's not the focus of the learning. So for example, if you want, I'm just going to call them basic skills at the moment. And my language is so off because I don't really, all I would know is like the anatomy and it's like the arm, <laughs> the eye. Um, so if I, wanted that's the i kind of think as the basics of the anatomy and then we would bolt on to that and i guess what i'm hearing you say is around the bolt on is this is the kind of systematic thing i want you to focus on build in your own context for whatever hospital you're in or your specific um what do you call it kind of role in there and that if you need to go back to the basics you know, here's an article, or here's a book, or here's a website that you can just go and refresh your own memory. Like what is the cornea? Like I know it's in the eye, but mm -hmm. I can't remember what specific part it is, you know, so yes. I could do a quick Google and find it. So it's the information is there if they need it, but they can go seek it. So that way we're not losing the people where we, we they have experience and they, they are familiar with those core basic things. Mm -hmm. I would almost um, think that putting in maybe even a video over, and this is going to sound weird for me to say this, but sometimes I feel like it's, even though we're in an environment where people know the medical terms, right, the jargon, mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like it has been easier for me to connect with people when I don't use overly jargon words when reviewing, you know, so instead of saying like, this feels like some you know fancy word for a firm i'm like oh well this just was kind of harder a little bit or this is a little squishy you know what i mean like because yeah. it gives people more of a context or like with the eye 
for example. So like when we cut into it and when we get to that final layer, like the white part of your eye, I'm like, when we cut it, I'm like, doesn't it kind of feel like a tennis ball? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Instead of like a very text-based version that says, you know, this has a firm texture. Ooh, okay. You know what I mean? Like firm, like a rock, like firm, like whatever. So to me, like having somebody just talk to you in like a, um, an informal type language about formal things, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. You can almost, yeah. So I, I like to do that. So if you're talking about like a skin texture or something like that, to me using words that are like, yeah, you know, I know that that's the, the actual official terms, but just being able to speak to somebody on like a very personal, like just me and you chatting kind of level yeah. seems to connect a lot more. I mean, some people really like the jargon, but to me, sometimes it's hard to, to just keep pushing that because sometimes they don't know, yeah. know what that means. Yeah. And I think that's a cool thing as well, like in terms of a common relatable thing. So if we go to a tennis ball, because if yeah. I'm now going and doing that procedure, if I ever get to touch the white part of the eye, <laughs> I'll be like, oh yeah, like this is, I'm expecting now I'm going to remember it. it should feel like a tennis ball, you know? So I'm, I like yeah. the visual of that. That would work for me as a learner because I'm not about terminology and the academic stuff just kind of, you'll lose me. But if you say tennis ball, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that green yellow thing before. I know what that's like. <laughs> yes, I know what that texture feels like. Yeah. Um, if we go back to people in emergency, and again, I can only, Grey's Anatomy and ER are my reference points. <laughs> but I guess they're like, it's hectic and it's like crazy. How do they fit learning in if there's like mandatory training or something that comes out that they have to do a refresher that's done every 12 months or something? How is that scheduled into their life? And like literally how much time would they have to do something? Um, I've seen it done a few ways. Sometimes they will do little, um, serve, you know, like little in-service type things that they can do um, either in the department or sometimes they'll send them down to like the education department, try to rotate everybody through there depending on what it is. Um, but a lot of times they will just make them like work on modules and stuff at home. I've, I've seen like mm -hmm. certain companies that you work for will require that you do so much of this, you know, continuing education stuff through their particular modules. Yeah. You know, they, they've done it that way. So when it's required through your work, it's usually something like on the computer that you have to do at home on your own time. Kind really? Of so why would they do it? Yeah. If it's, it's, if it's in you your know, own time. And that it's part of your um, requirement, you know, for your job. So. But if it is, yeah. shouldn't you get paid for it? Oh, well, they, they might get paid for it. Some people will get paid oh, for okay. it. Yeah. If you're working on, yeah, yeah. No, it, I'm not talking about unpaid time. I'm just talking about uh, when yeah. you're not there. Time. Yeah. Just, long okay. periods of time going through modules and how would they prioritize that because i think um or ha not that sorry how do they prioritize training initiatives for people like that are time poor and i would say have higher priorities so how do they identify mean, like uh, they need we need our practitioners to be more empathetic so we're going to put all of them through um training that helps them you know empathize with their people not just treat them as another patient and get them through the door like really understand what's the root cause of what may be going on so they can diagnose better how do they prioritize whether that's important or it's something else that's something i don't know um when i was working in the emergency room 
those things kind of always got came down from somebody above you know what I mean and so unless there was some something that had happened you know like you know like for instance now you know like the COVID stuff that's going on you know there were there's lots of meetings and lots of trainings and updates sent all the time that you have to look over to do that um but usually it was just sent down from somebody else. Like either, I don't know if they had like meetings with nursing managers or administration, or if there is just a um, broad overall like system that it's coming from that all hospitals have to make sure that their staff are all, you know, say that they're trained on this, you know, kind of like sexual harassment things or, you know, anything like that infection control or anything that's pretty common. So I'm not really sure where that comes from. That's a good question. That was always kind of our question. Who decided that we had to yes. take this? And yeah. that's common in workplaces as well. So that's why I was curious because they're always like, why mm-hmm. am I here? Why do I have to do this? Um, yes. And I guess that's something, and I think you'll want to speak to this, is around the psychology um, and the motivation behind doing stuff. So what kind of things mm-hmm. do you put into your training in a secret way that <laughs> to help speak to the motivation of the people that you're training? Ooh, that's a good question. I love thinking about motivation and especially because, you know, being fairly new to instructional design, I'm kind of still like every step is like really like I'm going through the whole little thing. And so when I get to doing like, you know, after strategy or whatnot, I think about motivation, but mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think about one of my prior projects. So for the first one that I did, the very first project I ever did, like official instructional design project was a um, communications course for undergraduate nurses. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's a, you ever heard of SBAR format, like situation, background, assessment, recommendation. It's a particular format. It's a communication style that the military, I think it came from the military a long time ago it's a good way of kind of very efficiently getting to the point of something and so the healthcare system people started taking that on and so I made a training around that because what was happening was I was noticing in simulation when you have new nurses nurses who are not have been nurses before they're in training when they're in a scenario and that's time becomes time to call like the doctor or whoever the care provider is something's going on I need to make that phone call they were just all over the place. They would just tell you all this irrelevant information and whatnot. And so that's a big key to being a nurse is you have to learn how to very um, quickly get to like what relevant details you need to have. And then do you have a recommendation or what are you asking for? Because it gets very ugly when you call a doctor and you're just rambling on about all these things. And they're like, what do you want? Like, why are you calling me? Right. And so when I thought about that, I was like, how do I work towards like motivation? And so I would kind of think like, why would they care? And so if you tap into like, basically, you know, this is a very important skill. Communication is going to be a skill you're going to use your entire nursing career, the entire time you're, you know, being a nurse and that how it was, of course, great for patient safety, but also like thinking about not wanting to be embarrassed on the phone, not wanting to be unprepared. Because to me, that kind of taps into psychology. Because if somebody tells me, like, you need to really, like, be efficient because it's best for your patient, sure, I care about that. But if you say that this doctor is going to chew you out if you don't get to the point, (laughs) 
then I want to learn it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. want to get chewed out over the phone. Like, I don't want to get embarrassed. Like, I want to know how to solve this problem the best I can before I ever pick up that phone. And yeah. so that's kind of where I kind of got into that. I kind of went from that angle of like, this is going to help you be much more efficient. You know how you're really nervous when you pick up the phone yeah. and you don't know what to say? This particular format will help you very much get to the point. So we did examples. We worked through things are probably going to see, you know, as far as like this one says they're allergic to this. This is a phone call you need to make to the physician. You know, you don't need to tell them everything that you've ever known about the patient. It's not important, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of in my mind, that's a good example of motivation to me. I love that. I, I like a very real <laughs> approach, yeah. which not everybody's a fan of, you know, some people are much more formal about it, but to me, I'm like, you know, I'm just very real about it. Like that's, that's a more of a motivator to me is like, I don't want to get yelled at. I want to get screamed at. I don't want to look like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I want to be prepared or whatever to me is more motivating than just telling me that, you know, you have yeah. to use format. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I, even within me now, I'm not going to ever make a phone call like that, but I feel like compelled to know the answer to that stuff. Cause I'm, I can imagine <laughs> like having that phone call and being like, and then the doctor's like, what do you need from me? Yeah, what? Like, why are you rambling on? Right. Yeah, so there's yeah. a time that they're going to want to know what their blood pressure is. And there are time that it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. And that's what you do. Yeah. So it just teaches them how to very quickly introduce themselves when they're calling, what the problem is, one to two lines, what their assessment of the situation is, as in like, I just need you to change this medication. And then as they become more seasoned nurses, the recommendation is, I think we could switch them to this. Is that okay yeah. with you? Because they have to have orders before they can change medications or anything. So, right. and they can get those orders by phone a lot. So yeah, that's so a cool. very important skill. In terms of, so they're real consequences and I love using real consequences as well. Um, how do you communicate that? Would you literally, what you said there, do you want to not feel nervous on the phone call? Do you want to actually know what you sound like, sound like you know what you're talking about when you're on the phone? How do you communicate that to your learners? Is it you just saying that to them or like? Basically, yes. Um, or you can write it in. I guess if you're having to do like a text space, you could just, you know, the consequence could be like, you know, physician hangs up the phone or you know, something like that <laughs> yeah. or screams or shouts at you or, yeah. you know, something like that. Because that really is the biggest thing about it is because even when that's not them calling a physician, you know, nurses, when they change shifts, have to, you know, give a report and whatnot. Right, so right. you want to learn how to be really efficient with what you have to tell people. And so that's yeah. just a very important skill. I mean, it, it really is. I think that would speak really well as well to um, how to advertise your training. So people want to do it. So it's almost like if it's a non-mandatory thing, I'm thinking, you know, uh -huh. communicating. Um, do you ever feel like X, Y, Z? Mm -hmm. then you might want to think about this course. So you're talking about those things that it's like, yeah, I don't want to feel like an idiot or I don't want to be like nervous or stammering. So mm -hmm. if you go, do you want to feel like X, Y, Z, or do you want to not feel like this? You might want to check out our communications course on blah, 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 because we'll help you to X, Y, Z. So I think yeah. that's like cool to be able to put into your messaging and your course descriptions as opposed to the learning objectives, because like learning objectives and stuff are what we use as L and D mm -hmm. practitioners. We get it. But like the end mm -hmm. user who's our learner, who's an employee is like, mm -hmm. I'm a human being and I don't speak like that. What I speak about is like, I feel nervous or I hate when this happens. Yes. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> exactly. like figuring out what would they say on the phone to their friend or their colleague 
when they're having a negative chat and bitching about something that went wrong yes. or that they hate, we need to identify that language yes. that is in our marketing of the training. <laughs> I know, and that's always a thing too, because, and that's why I always get tickled when people use like real language, you know, because, you know, I know for my sake, there was not always pleasant language, you know, when you're at work. <laughs> So it's one of those things where you can actually really talk to people on a real level and the language that people actually use, you know, I think it, it resonates more. Mm. And yeah, I think that's an interesting way to spin it is to put, you know, do you want to not get embarrassed on the phone or do you want to be able to effectively like, like communicate relevant information without like, you know, having confrontation or, you know, yeah. some pain point, like you're talking about something that would be more striking than communication and healthcare, which would be like, oh, sniff. <laughs> But if yeah, you, you know. I'm not sold. You've lost me, Brandy. See yeah. you later. Hanging out this phone call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, bo I'm bored now. Like, who would be that? Yeah, exactly. But if I saw that and I was like, yeah, anyway, we, I'm just going to repeat what I just said, <laughs> what we've been talking about. Um, talk to me about like some cool simulation training that you've done that's really changed behavior for your learners. Hmm. That's a hard question. Um, the, the hard thing to answer about that is, as somebody who works in a simulated environment, I usually only see them while they're there. Mm. And so once they leave, you know, they go back to like their nursing instructors or back into their clinical environment where they're practicing. And so you hope that you've helped them change their behaviors, yeah. you know, that you've done that. So for example, we had a, a case at one point where patient's blood pressure was very low. And so we were trying to not trick them, but ask them about like the patient needed to go to the bathroom. They needed to urinate. And so we kept pressing, like we, you know, we can speak through the mannequin, you know, we're like, I need to go. I need to go. And so <laughs> in the, and they're feeling rushed, but they know the patient doesn't have, they're not real stable at that point. Their blood pressure is way lower than it should be which, you know, we wanted them to think through that. So what do you do? Right. And so when they go to get the person up, you know, we act as if like their blood pressure plummets, they're going to fall out. They're going to, you know, do something like that. And so you hope that they will take that with them in real life. Mm -hmm. And remember, you do not get patients up that can't breathe or have really low blood pressure when they're just in a resting position for example. Yeah. So you hope that that makes them think through that process because really what you're doing. And that's what I've kind of noticed with like the simulated mannequins and all that. It's really not so much that the mannequin itself is to me, all that helpful. It's just having somebody there and having to stand in that room and think through that case scenario. Cause it's really a lot of critical thinking is what you're wanting them to do because the majority of them either in like a hands-on skills training or a simulated scenario that we do there it's basically you're wanting them to be able to take the knowledge that they're learning and use it to kind of work through like, what would I do if, mm. do you know what I mean? And so, and they get a little more complicated as they go up or the different programs do that. You know, of course, when they do those with the medical students, as they get a little farther along, there's a lot more that they are allowed to do, but we can manipulate, you know, blood pressure, heart rates. We can change what their breath sounds sound like. We can, you know, we talk through there, we have the assistants that would like talk through there and they can either, you know, quit commenting as in they're like not conscious anymore. You know, so you, you really are trying to get them to like critically think. And for me, I hope that that helps them change like the way they would approach a situation. 
but I don't get that follow up with them. Yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of like when you, when you give a training, you don't, I guess you don't, maybe don't always see, you hope that it worked out. (laughs) You hope that it's the right thing, but you don't always get to do that evaluation that you'd like to do. True. Um, that's cool about the real world. I can feel like the pressure as well. Like I know it wouldn't be a hundred percent real world pressure, but just the thing of like looking at some monitor where it's beeping and then the beeping noise changes and the breathing, like there's so much going on. And I think that's that opportunity to practice, right. That embeds the learning to happen Uh hopefully in the role because you're having to deal with it there. You're building that awareness that Mm -hmm. kind of, almost like slowing down into the matrix allows you to start <laughs> opening up to be able to critically think. Cause I think the first time you might get into the room and you're just like, ah, go to the toilet or whatever yes. it is, you know, <laughs> and then everything goes wrong. But I think, yeah, replicating the real world as much as possible and trying to provide opportunities to practice mm-hmm. are really practice. good at reinforcing. Yeah, they get to practice in like a safe environment. And so in other words, if they make a long mistake, the dummy is not actually going to die. You know, mm-hmm. we can make them look like they're going to die, you know, but they're not actually going to die. And so yeah. they get to make those in a safe environment. They get to work through the problems and then they're usually doing it in a team. And so they'll have two to three people in there with them that they're trying to work through these ideas with, which is, you know, get some kind of in the teamwork thing. What's really funny yeah. is you start to see kind of their personalities and their strengths. You know, some people are just really natural leaders who will step up, even if they don't know what to do. You have other people that are a little more timid, stand backish, and you have other people that are more people persons. They're up there. They want to hold hands. They want to touch the person. They want to be there. And then you have some that are kind of, I just want to hide, you know, (laughs) so you get to see a lot of that dynamics play out. But even, but even if the person's not front and center, they're still getting to learn because they're kind of being in that environment. And then what's really good about it is they always leave some time at the end so that we're watching them kind of like through the two way glass, you know, where they can't see us or whatnot and they can call us and we pretend to be whoever we're going to be that day. But then we get time to go back out there and, you know, the whole time we're making a list of things that says like, okay, so you wanted to do this. Like, what do you think about this? Or why would that not be a good idea? Or, you know, so you're getting them kind of that feedback and Mm -hmm. it allows them to kind of think through, you know, what you say and the rationale for it. And, and you hope that they take that, you know, with them and that yeah. it gives them a chance to ask questions too, some clarification or, or yeah. why can't I do that? Like, I don't understand. Or my book said this, how is this different? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. So yeah. you're building in time for reflective practice as well. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always do a little session at the end of that. We get to go out there and kind of, you know, talk with them and tell them what they did well and tell them where we need work and maybe we're clarify some things they were a little confused on as far as like yeah. how things work. So. Very cool. Um, what do you, in terms of like, cause I do recognize you as like a learner um, yourself, what are you learning at the moment that you're now experimenting with some of your training initiatives? Oh, uh, well, what's really interesting is it's kind of backwards because I started teaching before I got into instructional design. And so it's, it's kind of a backwards thing. And like right now I'm in a class, um, that we're doing a lot. What is it called? Like it's advanced instructional design stuff. So we're doing a lot of different um, learning strategies or teaching strategies. Yep. And we are doing game-based learning this week. Ah. Yes. And simulations actually came up as far as like being a sort of game-based learning, you know, yep. somewhat. 
and you know because it prevents presents a challenge you know again like we talked about learning in the safe environment yeah. um, a little bit of a narrative a story some teamwork um yeah so cool. so yeah so game-based learning I'm, there's a lot of stuff that I've tried to do differently along the way, like as I've done it, you know, things that I wouldn't have thought about before. Um, so for example, I've taught history taking before, like mm -hmm. how to do a history. And then during one of the classes I was taking, it was something to do with how people learn. There was all these different strategies, like people, how they use mnemonics, um, how they use tables to learn things and just kind of how that makes our brain able to see information, you know, like chunking it together, you know, all the things that we learned about how to put things together and make them look like groups. Yeah. And so what I actually did is like part of that class was I took my history session and actually made it into like this little, it was called like a frame. I think it was called, it was a technically what it was called, like frames. There's different types of frames that you can use to help people learn and actually put it into that and started using that just kind of as a practice. I was like, I'm just going to try this out in one of my sessions. And it really changed the way that I taught it because I thought it became so much easier for them to see it that way mm -hmm. than us just talking about it and randomly writing things down. So that was something that I actually pulled over into that. So so it's interesting, which I like that because I like a lot of visuals anyways. Yeah. I'm constantly, even when I'm reading text based things, I have to draw diagrams and lines and everything to kind of see how it comes out like in a visual yeah. demonstration, I guess. So I have to do it by hand because, you know, I'm not overly good with the tech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stickman's okay. We use Stickman too. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, um, by being, basically you've really empathized with your learner because you did the role for many years. Yeah. What have you learned about that for, and how has it benefited how you train others? How has um, being empathetic because I've been in the role? Is that what you Yeah, mean? because you were a nurse and a nurse practitioner and now you're helping people through the journey that you've gone through. How has that benefited your learning and development practice basically? Um, do you mean in, I'm going to make sure I understand your question. So do you mean how has being like in instructional design helped me emphasize more empath oh, excuse me, be empathetic <laughs> to my learners or I'm, I'm not sure I understand. No, question. be like being an actual nurse for years. And cause you really get it. You've lived it, you know, the pressures. And so quite often people that are designing training, uh -huh. have not done the role not yes. always um so some of the things we try to do ourselves or encourage others to do is to speak to the person so ring a nurse and go what is this like how's it going to help or go follow them around for the day and see uh -huh. what it's like but yes. i guess you've done the ideal situation of like living it yes. <laughs> so what have been the benefits i kind of want to help people understand and appreciate why it's important to really understand your end user and why you should spend time with them before you determine and assume and assume what their life is like to create a solution that may not yes. fit. Oh, I think that, yes, I think that is so important. And so in regards to like being in healthcare, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're or someone who is teaching healthcare or designing things for healthcare related, something like, so say if you got a contract to do something that was a healthcare related, yeah, I just, I think that you have got to talk to the people actually in that role because of the things like we talked about, like what is the language that they use? What does it really look like, you know, on a floor? Like 
like you said, what are the words that they would use to help them even care about what you're teaching them? Because most people in that profession are always wanting to learn. They're excited about their topic. You know, a lot of them are really like hardcore, like they want to know everything they're supposed to know, but they don't want to do it in a way that they know that is not authentic to how they actually practice their life. So I think that sometimes is a big mismatch when you have someone who either has never done anything medical and it's not having someone help them with that or someone who has and still tends to make it very overly academic, you know, and, and they can't seem to find that, that you can kind of fuse both of it. You can be very legitimate and very professional. And I'm telling you the same thing about treating a chest pain that I would tell any other provider, but we don't always have to be speaking as if we're talking in textbook, you know? And so I would like somebody to tell me, you know, like, so when somebody comes into your hospital, like, who does the EKG? Like, where's the machine? Is this going to be my role? What do I need to look for? Like, how long do I have to do it? You know, there's all of these things that like people like who are actually doing it would be able to tell you and like, Hey, this is, this is not important. Or like you said earlier, like, what do they already know? You know, a lot of them would tell you honestly, like, yes, I learned that in nursing school, but I don't use that on a regular basis. So I really need a lot of refresher on that. You know what I mean? So yeah. if it's something that you're teaching that's mandatory for everybody. It might be something where you say, well, how many people are actually doing this skill? Where are people who are doing it? Like, or who's not doing this skill? Like what's wrong with it? And why aren't they doing it? You know, like we talk about, because they may just say, well, it's been a really long time. And I totally forgot that. Like, it's just not a concept I've ever had to use, you know, like, just like, for example, like me, I, through nursing school and nurse practitioner school, we do a lot of women's health. We do a lot of, you know, mother, baby, all that kind of stuff, but I've never had to deliver a baby. I never worked with any of those things. You know, the closest I ever got to that was pregnant females coming to the ER who were having early contractions or vaginal bleeding. Like, so these are the things that I would need to know, like, how do I handle it in this context? Mm -hmm. But for somebody who is a labor and delivery nurse, they're going to have a lot more prior knowledge on that. So then maybe you would change the way you talk to them about something related to that. So I think you just have to talk to the people who are actually doing it and you can skip that. So there was a really good example of this the other day. I'm in a group and I had actually was really interested in trying to see if I could use what I've learned in instructional design for people who are not in a university setting people actually just want to take their expertise and learn how to teach it to people. Right. And so I was talking to someone and they were thinking that they immediately had to build a course and they had to do like a membership site and all these things. And so I was like, let's just go back. Like, let's go back and like, tell me about this person. Tell me about whatever. And you know, like my person is this person. They're mature. They're very established. They're this age group. They're very professional. They're whatnot. And, and I just simply asked them, I said, do you think they would even be interested in a course. And they're like, well, I don't know. They really, I said, because I know that, you know, a lot of people that I know, my, my world, my family that really prefer somebody to shake my hand, sit here and talk to me, but they're not going to go sign up for a course. They're not going to go do whatever that they don't have to. They actually prefer more of a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And they were like, Oh, I never thought of that. You know? So again, it's like, we want to jump right into what we think is an exciting thing or like, what's the going thing but it may not even be what you need 
at all. Like the people that you're trying to teach may not even want that. They may not like technology. They may hate courses. They may think they're not very real, or maybe the description of the course is lame <laughs> and it would actually be really fun, you know, and I may really like it. It's just a matter of like selling it a little better. Like, Hey, this is something that you would actually use. I just don't think you can know that unless you talk to them or somebody related to that. Love it. I feel like, yeah, it's a nice note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Listen back to that. It is it always comes back to you got to know your learner. You got to know who you're designing for their mm -hmm. needs, not what's nice to know and why should they care? Because it's going to benefit their life. So what are those benefits to them? Mm -hmm. So Brandy, yes. thank you so much for your time. And yes, for sharing so this much. knowledge, it's been a really refreshing refresher for me. I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to share. Um, so thank you everyone and for listening. Brandy's details will be in the description. You can go follow and be friends with her if you want um, and see what else she's up to. But thank you so much for your generous sharing. We appreciate you. <laughs>